0: That's how my mama had me learn it. So go check it out. And if you haven't heard me say it in a while, I appreciate you listening, my friend. And now on with the episode. Keeping you up to date on the world of social media, industry experts, innovators, innovators, creators, storytellers, and the latest social media tools, tips, and tactics. This is Social Media News Live. Hello, folks. Welcome to Social Media News Live. I'm Jeff C. And you're not.
1: And I'm Connor Brown. And this is the show that keeps you up to date on what's happening in the
0: world of social media and more. Have you ever wondered how to construct a media kit that truly embodies your brand and catches the eye of industry leaders? Maybe you're curious about the key components that elevate a media kit from functional to fantastic. Or maybe you're ready to learn how to express your distinct value to attract your dream collaborations. If those questions resonate with you, then you're in exactly where you need to be. Today we are thrilled to feature Cassie Tucker, an expert in media kit design whose adept crafting has guided creators to the forefront of their niches now Cassie's going to be divulging her journey her expert insights and the best tactics for creating a media kit that stands out so sit back clear schedule clear mind and get ready for this week's episode of social media news live Cassie how are you doing today
2: I am doing great. Super honored to be here today. So thank you. And I already saw Connor today. So we're going to a lot of Connor. (laughs) It's
0: Connor all the time. That's right. Um, so (laughs) it's right. It's Friday. gotta watch Connor. Uh, so if you don't know who uh, Cassie Tucker is, I'm so excited to introduce you. She combines her former Disney cast member experience with nearly a decade of marketing expertise to make magic for her clients as a marketing consultant. And through prior experience, Cassie has worked with national and local business across businesses across the United States to create effective content strategies and make messaging optimizations that take a brand's digital presence to the next level and help businesses resonate with their target audience. Cassie, again, thank you so much. I'm so excited because I saw your uh, media kit presentation at Momentum. It was fabulous. And I'm so excited to dig in a little bit deeper today.
2: Thank you so much. I'm excited as well. It's a great topic and something I love, love sharing with others.
0: Awesome. And something else that I love to share myself is our amazing sponsors, Ecamm. If you haven't checked them out, you really need to. They have an incredible new update that has a bunch of stuff. If you want to check them out, go to socialmedianewslive.com forward slash Ecamm. And by the way, Ecamm is going to be joining me at a meetup that we're doing right before Podfest. Um, and we're going to do it uh, at the parks. I think we're going to do it at Hollywood Studios with my friend Paul Gouter. if you want to be a part of that, even if you're not going to Podfest, come out and see us at the parks. You can find out more about that at jeffc.com forward slash podfest meetup already with that out of the way let's go ahead and jump right into this um cassie kind of explain in your view what makes an effective media kit
2: yeah, so there's a lot of things. And obviously, a lot of that depends on who you are, your brand, what industry you're in, but also the brands that you're targeting. But in general, the three things that I would say just overall, number one is simplicity. So you want to remove the fluff. I mm. like talking about media kits, almost like a job resume. So whether you're currently in the corporate career space, or you were in the past, you kind of understand the gist of how resumes work and The goal is to get straight to the point as quickly as possible and to only include the information in there that really resonates and is compelling and is relevant to the person receiving that or the brand receiving it. So simplicity is number one. Uh, Make sure the details you have in there matter and uh, they're necessary. Number two is storytelling. So Mm. we were talking earlier on my show with Connor about the importance of storytelling. Storytelling is an amazing way to captivate your audience to communicate clearly who you do or who you are, what you do, and why you serve your audience. And you can do that with your media kit, as well as with the pitch email, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. And lastly is personalization. So going back to the resume reference there, you want to make sure that your media kit is tailored to the brand receiving it. And so making sure that you do your due diligence, you research the recipient, you make sure that the pitch that you're creating is captivating that person receiving it because ultimately what someone is asking themselves when they receive your media kit and your pitch email is what's in it for me. And so Mm. you got to be able to answer that question uh, clearly and quickly. And that certainly does take some research, but it, it matters.
1: Awesome. That's great. And I know we talk so much about personalization. So I love that notion of, for each individual you're sending into, create the media kit for it, right? You can have your template, you can have your basis, but you know, spin it up a little bit so it actually appeals to them. For someone who's just starting out, Cassie, and, and wants to create a media kit and put their name out there, um, one tough thing that you might run into is that you don't have a lot of prior examples or experience or testimonials, which so many people look for. uh, How would you say someone could compensate for that lack of, you know, direct testimonials from brands that they might not have worked with at, at all in their media kit to still set themselves apart?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I completely understand that if you are getting started and you're very new in your space or even new to just working with brands and you don't have testimonials to speak to that quite yet, uh, first thing I would say is there are ways to gather those without uh, doing the hard work first. So one thing that I always recommend, whether you're a service provider, a speaker, you're an influencer online and you're looking to land some sort of partnership, uh, one thing you can do, I know it doesn't sounds super fun but you can offer some uh partnerships or solutions or products or whatever it is that you're doing for free at first just to gain feedback and so if you can do that even just a little bit you know obviously i wouldn't recommend gathering those from family members or anything actually (laughs) go out to your target audience the people that are similar to who you do a paid collaboration with and offer something to them hey i'll create a reel for you just to showcase your product if you would just write a quick three sentence or even two sentence testimonial to speak to uh, what I did for you and a lot of brands are really eager to welcome that Um, if you're a speaker same thing hey I'll come to your event next week it's I'm local I'll show up and I'll present for 20 minutes if you just give me some feedback and share a testimonial so there's ways to gather those that are uh, low-hanging fruit versus feeling like you have to get those paid collaborations and receive testimonials that way first but i still understand if you don't quite have those yet um there's a couple things that you can do you know number one your messaging as i was talking about a minute ago is super super important so although you may not have advice or it points to where mm-hmm. someone is sharing why you. You can share why you. So yeah. making sure that again your story is compelling enough. It speaks to the target audience and the person receiving that. Uh, so that's going to be super compelling. There's other little things too that can speak to your expertise. So if you have any awards or accolades that you've received in the past, uh, press mentions, anything to where you've been featured somewhere, uh, and then also the biggest thing uh, that is a non-negotiable in my opinion, uh, no matter if you have testimonials or not, is content examples, especially if you are a content creator and that's what you're pitching to someone, showing that you have done work like that in the past and showing examples of the work that you provided to other brands, uh, whether it's for free or it's paid, that really gives the brand or the person receiving that uh, media kit a clear, clear example of what you can provide to them. Uh, Same with speaking, if you have video or speaker reel, we say that in in this space of just a compilation of a couple of the different virtual and in-person speeches that you've given, really showing and speaking and, and having an example of that expertise that you're speaking to is gonna be incredibly important for increasing your authority in that space.
0: Mm, that's really great advice. And one of the things, and I wish I would have done this earlier in my journey and I did it, um, at the, even at the last momentum where I spoke Is I asked one at the end of my talk. And even, uh, in a group later, I said, Hey, would you just like, say, if you like my talk, can you leave me a recommendation on LinkedIn? I'm still waiting for that Connor, by the way. Um, but, um, but it really did a great job because it gave me like four or five ones that are really fresh. It's my, my latest talk. And I can use that in the media kit, like uh, you were saying. So I, think one of the things we we tend not to do is forget to ask like even when you're doing a virtual maybe a virtual event where you're speaking there uh it's still ask the sponsors or the people who ask you to do it if would you hey would you just go over to linkedin and like leave me a review I, that, i'd really appreciate it so and most of the time they always will do that so that's great advice cassie Absolutely. um the question uh, one of the questions i have is you know there's so many it's, it's so loud anymore online, you know, influencers, everybody is clamoring for something. So how can content creators di- different, differentiate themselves and their, their media kits from a landscape that is just so saturated? Like one of the things is testimonials that really are like, we just talked about are very specific to you, but what are some other ways that you can set yourself apart in your media kit?
2: Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is taking a step back first before you even develop your media kit is making sure that you know exactly who you are and what your brand is. I think if you can't answer the question why you're different or why you, uh, it's, it's gonna be really hard to convince that person receiving your media kit that you're different. And so make sure you're answering those questions to yourself internally. You take a day or a couple days to um, discover that and how you can communicate that to someone. And so it's compelling and it's relevant initially. Uh, I love the story brand framework and there's mm. some really awesome exercises to go through to be able to develop that messaging. And so that's a tool that you can use online. It's free. There's a brand Script that you fill out a couple of different questions and you can really get some clarity and also get feedback from other people. Ask them, is this compelling? Does this make sense? Is it clear? Is it concise? Um, and that's something that you can do initially. And so brand message is huge. Why are you different? Having that written out clearly on there is gonna be incredibly, incredibly important. And, you know, the other thing, too, there's a number of different things that you can kind of set yourself apart with. But we talked about content examples. So Mm -hmm. that is one is honing in your creative expertise or the style of creative that you put together, showcasing that and sharing with the brand why that's going to help push their brand forward. Uh, I think the other thing, too, that can set you apart. I always recommend to people, especially when they're getting started on pitching, is start with the brands that you use every day first, Mm. because if you can speak to your own personal expertise versus going to a brand and saying, hey, I saw you online for five seconds, you look (laughs) cool, let's work together. You can really tell that story and share why that brand has changed your life. Uh, That's one thing that always stands out to me on the agency receiving side for the brands I work with. Uh, I wanna know if that person actually cares and if they've even shared the brand organically in the past too, to kind of prime their audience for that product. So those are just a couple things. And then personalization too is another one when you're reaching out to someone, uh, making sure that your media kits personalize as well as your pitch email, because we all know how many messages and emails Perfect. we receive every day, especially thinking about LinkedIn. I mean, so many sales messages and a lot of times you can tell it's just a copy and paste and right. uh, the message that they sent shows that they didn't actually pay attention to what you personally do. And so just by making those small catering instances where you can kind of tweak your content for the group receiving it is really gonna help you stand out as well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. One of the, before we go a little further, I want to just, on that note about you starting out with brands you really love, that's how I was able, you know, when I started the show is I had been using Ecamm for such a long time. I just said, hey, would you, is this something we could work together on? And they said, yes. And so that was like, you know, people are like, I can't find a brand deal. I think what you said, Cassie, is so spot on. If you're a fan of a service or a product or something, reaching out to them first, and you probably have shared that stuff organically in the past, if it's if you're passionate about it, and it can make a huge difference, and you never know until you ask. So that's one of the things that I think is really important. And I'm glad you brought that up. It's also why uh, Jeff reached out to Spanx recently. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
1: yes, again, the Jeff talking. line. It's it's extra fabric. It's it's like a tent. You could use it as a tent as well. So, yes. so, so, Cassie, I think one thing is when we want to reach out to brands, especially ones that we admire. We might suffer a little bit from imposter syndrome, um, and maybe not being at the level that we perceive a brand that we admire might want to work with. So, do you have any advice or or feedback for influencers or or entrepreneurs that want to reach out to a brand but might be hesitant or concerned that their stats, their followers, their you know metrics, aren't as High or is impressive enough uh, to share with brands, that at least they think so.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I think the number one thing is, especially if you're a creator, if you can get as diversified with your portfolio as possible, that's obviously going to be super helpful because that's more that you can contribute to the brand more that you can feature their products or their services uh, through your channels. So that's the biggest thing. Obviously, don't feel like you have to be everywhere all at once and do all the things. Obviously, make sure that those different platforms are relevant and it's where your audience is showing up and wants to find you on. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing is just diversifying and offering more. You know, a lot of times if we're podcasters or if we're uh, Instagram influencers, we think of only offering those single elements, but if you can offer and provide more to the, to the brand, uh, that's obviously more value that they're receiving from you. So get creative on that front. I think the other thing too, there's so many opportunities out there for micro creators or micro mm. influencers. And th- right now the age of UGC, for example. So if you create content online, a lot of times now brands are paying, uh, to just create assets that they can use on their own channels it's not even necessarily them relying on you to drive a ton of traffic to their brand and promote the heck out of that product or service Uh, but it's more of a creative angle to it where you're offering up your content creation services to them for a price so that's a really good way to get your feet wet and kind of start to dabble you know, in that space. Um, But I think the other thing too, is thinking about what skills that you have that you could offer to the brand. So again, it might kind of be outside of the ordinary. Let's say maybe this brand wants to host more events locally in different communities. Maybe you're really organized and you're great at planning events, even though that's something that doesn't necessarily align with your external brand. maybe that's something you could offer to them as an incentive to work together. And so I think initially get started that way. Um, And the other thing too is, you know, if you haven't done any paid collaborations per se quite yet, affiliate marketing is a really great place to start, whether it's for uh, social media creators or podcasters or email marketers. And so starting to build your statistics that way and show brands, hey, you know, I've driven this many conversions or this many clicks to this brand, and it wasn't necessarily a paid collaboration that still helps compel that brand to potentially pay you for a collaboration with them and so there's a couple different ways to get started but tap into your skills tap into a range of diversified platforms that you're offering and uh, ultimately i think the other thing too is just offer a customized option to the brand. So talk with them, ask, ask for their goals. What are they looking to achieve? Who are they looking to talk to with their brand? And you might be able to come up with something really unique to help uh, both sides.
0: That's awesome. That's great advice. Uh, So we have a great question here um, from Facebook. I think this may be Katie. I'm not sure, but uh, it says Facebook user, but we'll just call her Katie. Um, She goes, how critical and currently what are the channels a brand needs to focus on? Some of the brands we deal with shun away from certain platforms. That's a great question.
2: Yeah, oh man, that's the golden question of the age, right? So obviously there's, you know, again, Connor and I were talking about shiny object syndrome earlier Mm -hmm. this morning. There's all of these different things coming out all the time and even all of these platforms are releasing new features. And, you know, I can remember a time, for example, where Instagram stories weren't a thing and then Instagram reels weren't a thing and TikTok wasn't a thing. And so there's always a number of different things rolling out Um, and so I think the biggest thing, number one is just paying attention to those updates. If you are in the creative space or you're a speaker, you're a podcaster, you are a content creator, paying attention to the updates happening in the platforms or the spaces that you're in is going to be incredibly important because a lot of times brands are looking to step into those new spaces or those new areas of the spaces uh, very quickly. And if they can communicate and work with someone who is already in that space and using it it's going to be huge so test and test early is the biggest thing i'll say there um it for me it doesn't really nail down to specific platforms you absolutely have to be on right now. I think the biggest thing is knowing where your audience as a creator is hanging out. And so making sure that you're fostering and you're cultivating those environments. Uh, And it's fine to test other platforms. It's cool to jump on to TikTok if you've never been on there and see if it works. But um, really having those couple platforms that your people are going to show up time and time Again for you, and also too, you know, we spoke at Momentum uh, a couple months ago about own channels as well. So mm-hmm. obviously, being on Instagram and TikTok is great, and if you have a big established audience there, that's awesome. But having some sort of own channel as well, that uh, you know, if if something happens with one of the platforms, right, you're right. not at a loss essentially. So email and website. Uh, so if you have a blog on your website, that's one too. But don't feel like you have to bite off too much more than you can chew, uh, but really focus and hone in and be consistent on those platforms. And so, if that starts for you with just email and Instagram, great, you know, start mm-hmm. there. And I think the brand receiving your media kit and your pitch will be really impressed with the fact that you've shown up time and time again on those individual platforms, your engagement rate is great your community is very strong and that ultimately is the biggest thing uh, for brands versus just being on right. 900 different channels
0: right i, I will
1: say go ahead with that one the the brand is clearly if they're shunning away from particular platforms they clearly believe that their audience isn't on those platforms right. so it's probably safe to say that if they don't believe their audience is there, then maybe your audience isn't the right fit for that product or brand. I mean, we all want to be sponsored by Ferrari, right? I'd love to have (laughs) one out out over here, but I don't think my audience is going to find that very relevant. So I think it's, it's one thing about really, really liking a product and wanting to go out to that brand. It's another to say, is my, is this right for my audience in particular?
0: Yeah. And by the way, that, that question was from Nazim. Nazim, thank you for stopping by. I appreciate you, my friend. And he goes, great advice. I agree with that. One of the things, um, when you're talking about, you know, even when I was talking about, like with, uh, is one of the things I was able to say to them. And you mentioned this for like small influencers when they're starting is like, I was able to say like, you're not just sponsoring like my live show, but it's also going to be on YouTube and Instagram and repurposing. I'm going to put you everywhere. And so when you're smaller and starting out, that's a great way I think to really, you know, utilize what you have and promote it. Um, One of the things you mentioned um, on the question of like what, you know, what platforms are using one of my favorite resources to find brand deals is Justin Moore's email. If you guys don't know who him, he has called creator wizard and he has these brand deals that he lists out. (coughs) And one of the things that I'm seeing is TikTok and Instagram Reels, a lot of brands are asking for. And so I think, um, but you can pick, a lot of them will say, well, you know, I want Pinterest too or or whatever. And like what Cassie was saying, if you have some of those platforms, like, listen, I'll, I won't only do this, but I'll do this as well. I'll even go on these platforms. Then you might be able to get the, your foot in the door and kind of dif- differentiate yourself for some other people who are applying for that same thing. So, But Justin Moore, Creator Wizard, super, super helpful uh, emails that he sends out. So um, let's talk about... Um, you know, we talked about the small following and I think cause a lot of people start out and, and my opinion is if you're creating content at all, you probably need to have a media kit. So what do you do when a sponsor Cassie says like, Hey, we want to work for you, but what are your numbers? And you feel like you don't have those numbers at all. Like you have like, my mom, you know, really likes my posts. I mean, what do you tell, what do you tell people, um, do you ignore the numbers and try to shift it in a different way? Or so how do you, how do you overcome that barrier when you first get started? Because there are people looking for those micro influencers right now.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. So number one, the thing to think about is it, brands are all looking for different things, right? The large, massive brands may be looking for someone who has a huge audience and following an engagement rate. Uh, Another brand may be only looking for email subscribers. The only brand may only be looking for micro influencers who have a really engaged audience. And so Mm -hmm. it's really hard to know at first what those brands may specifically be looking for. Uh, That's not to say that you shouldn't You know, have something to show for that. But I think the biggest thing that I would say to that question is just again diversify and offer more if you have mm. to at first and yeah. then go from there um affiliate partnerships as well right. is a great place to start like I said because ultimately you are going to run into roadblocks where a brand will tell you no because you don't have the numbers they're looking for and that's okay it's just a, not a good fit at that time uh, but if you can start number one consistently working to build your brand in your community, no matter what, eventually you will get there to a place where those dream brands will want to work with you. Uh, The other thing too, and paying attention to what those brands are currently doing across platforms is again, you might be able to offer some sort of UGC to them. So when we say UGC, we are talking about user generated content. And so maybe you've noticed that the brand is always reposting other people's content that takes a lot of time to dig for that content, reach out to that person, ask for permission to repost it. And so if you could come up with some sort of collaboration where, hey, Nike, I would love to take the three pairs of shoes I already own, they're currently on your website, you're promoting them, and take photos in three different locations for you and offer them to you for this rate. Again, that's a really great place to start. And it kind of shows and works on your collaboration skills, your communication skills, with uh, with that team. And, you know, again, it, it's content to put on your right. media kit to show that you have worked with brands in the past. Um, I told this story at Momentum, but... I have a podcast and we've been going at it for a while and podcast sponsorships are tricky, right? There's a lot of brands looking for very high numbers in that Mm -hmm. space. Uh, But what we have done over time is we have worked to build our community on a couple of very niche uh, platforms. So one of them being LinkedIn, we have the podcast of course, and we also have an email list. And so what we have been working to do is we've been working to land paid sponsors, but we're not just focusing on podcasting. Hey, we'll mention your brand one time uh, during the span of a 20 minute episode and you're going to pay us X. We say, Hey, we're not only going to do that, but we're going to include you in our email list. We're going to post about you a couple times on social. And you know, not everyone does this, but I do some photography on the side. And so we even offered, hey, Cassie's gonna take five photos for you that you can take, you can use them for whatever you want. And that was a part of our package. And we've landed a couple of really great paid sponsors that way, not solely relying on our podcast following. Mm. So that's another thing, again, just really diversify, tap into your skills, tap into your community, but ultimately don't let it, let make you lose steam, you know, continue Mm -hmm. aiming for community building that community consistently showing up for your people over time. And if that is your number one goal, your community and your numbers are going to grow just naturally. And you'll get to the point where you're going to be able to land some of those really big dream worthy brands.
0: That's awesome. That, that I wanted to hit that hard because of you know, you don't know they'll say no unless you ask. And so yep. many times I've when I first got started I just didn't ask when I should have and stuff could have happened instead of waiting. So mm-hmm. if you get anything from this, just ask. You never all they can yeah. do is say no, right? I mean, you know, you're not any worse off by asking. So I uh, thank you for Cassie. That's really, really great. So I wanna move on to this next segment when we're gonna talk about um kind of strategies for outreach. You mentioned before kind of an email for some of this stuff too, that kind of goes in hand in hand with your media kit. So how can a content creator, like effectively personalize their media kit pitch and kind of cut through that noise and not end up on the spam folder. Like you said, we get all those LinkedIn things. I have people wanting pitching to be a guest on my podcast. And they have no idea what the podcast <laughs> is about. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's not gonna work. Um, so what do you, how do you stand out with um, like this personalization that you mentioned?
2: yeah so it's definitely tricky and it's it's a it's a trial and error game, right? So, uh, I think the biggest thing too, like I said, is tapping into those brands that you're already using on a regular basis. Cause that's easy, right? You're mm. able to quickly speak to, uh, how you've used the product or y- how you resonate with the brand or why the story was compelling to you when you initially came across the brand. So that's a great place to start first, but let's say it's a brand that you don't have as much experience, uh, using or working with, uh, the biggest thing is just do your research so make sure you're taking the time to discover the brand's mission vision the products that they offer the type of people that engage with the brand online so you can kind of comb through and look at the people that are connecting most with that brand on social media the type of content they're creating the collaborations they're doing the campaigns they're working on really showing that you've done the work and you've uh, done your research again going back to the job hunt reference there. I'm pretty sure most people listening would not step into a job interview with no knowledge of the brand <laughs> right. or of right. the business, right? Because that would look kind of silly on your front. So same thing. It, it obviously it takes time, but making sure that you're doing your due diligence to uh Come through get that information come create a crafting uh create a compelling story that is crafted to that brand that you're reaching out to and the other thing i'll say too is uh a lot of times it's easy just to go onto the website and find the info at email and just use that and and reach out to someone but if you could find a direct connection to someone uh, on the receiving end that's going to be even more Helpful, And the other layer to that too, if you could even do some research on that person receiving the email, don't get stalkerish, you know, don't (laughs) go too deep. But if you could kind of comb through their LinkedIn really quick, see where they went to school, if there's a connection there, see the brands that they've worked with, the work that they do. And so making that human to human connection as well. And I promise you getting through to a human versus just a general inbox that receives probably hundreds to thousands of emails a day, it's going to be a lot easier to do that. And there's some really, really, really great tools out there um, to help you do so. And but LinkedIn, uh, a lot of times people's contact information is available uh, to them there on the platform. Um, And so that's a great place to start too. human connection as well as just tailoring and doing your due diligence and research.
0: Very cool.
1: That's really cool. You know, one thing that I always struggle with is uh, the notion of, well, why would they care? Right? Like, why would they want to work with me? And, and I also don't want to be presumptuous that, that they do. Right. So I'm always like, Oh God, it'd be nice if you could, you know, with me or or here. i think so many people are also nervous that they don't want to come off as strong or forceful by sending an you know an unsolicited media kit to to a brand or or something like that so so how do you gauge when you can do that cassie like not being uh overtly in your face but coming off as maybe proactive or, or not presumptuous but what are your strategies and kind of mindset around that?
2: Yeah. So technically speaking, uh, if you think about email inboxes and how they work, you know, there's a lot of different layers of protection that a lot of businesses have on what they can receive in their inbox, especially if an attachment is included or even a link is included and depending on where it's coming from. And so, Unfortunately, we don't have the power to control those elements. But a lot of times, unfortunately, some of those elements will flag the email in that person's inbox, or it won't even get to them in the first place. Um, So I would test, I think depending on the scenario, if you see an open call for influencers, obviously sending the media kit initially to that person is gonna be helpful because that's literally what they're looking for. I think also too, if you've seen that they've done a lot of collaborations recently and yeah. um, that's something they might be looking for. I think it's okay to test. Now, I think the biggest thing is ultimately making that relationship connection first is going to be the most compelling and helpful. Uh, just because it shows that you're not quite out there to to get what they have and to take advantage or whatever. Not saying you are, but I think you know ultimately if you are really personalizing that outreach and and you know making it not feel gross and <laughs> right. like think about yeah. think about the the messages that you've received in linkedin or what have you like think about the things that people have said to you and make sure you avoid some of those elements that make you feel a little gross um so that's the biggest thing uh but a lot of it honestly is just trial and error you just have to test a number of different message styles and i think too you know you could do a discovery outreach email initially if your goal eventually we keep talking about nike but if your goal down the road is to work with nike maybe making that one-to-one connection with someone on linkedin or reaching out to them and just saying hey, really love what you're doing. Thanks for all the work that you're creating, the creative work that you're developing and just making that first personal connection and over time fostering that relationship. Obviously that's the long game, but relationships ultimately here are key. And I could tell you, I wish I could tell you that uh, just cold pitches all day long is gonna land you a million different opportunities, it can, but ultimately the end of the game is just relationships are so important. Um, But if you don't have that relationship developed yet first, try to spark it. And even if down the road, your goal is to work with Nike, but you either A, don't feel like you're quite there or you wanna work on your brand a little bit before you get there, spark that relationship now and down the road, that's gonna be uh, very important for you.
0: I think that is so key.
1: So funny about that. Just one quick anecdote. So on LinkedIn, I go by R Connor Brown because mm-hmm. I go by my middle name, but for, you know, the government wants me to use my first name for everything. Mm-hmm. So anytime I get a LinkedIn message and it says, hi there, R Connor, I'm like, no one would ever actually call me this. Right. Right. No, you can't just look at that and be like, well, he clearly wants to go by this. No, mm-hmm. it's a brand sort of thing. So I know, oh, they didn't, Take any time, or it's automated and it's just scraping off of my profile. So it starts even with that that salutation and thing like that. And when I see R Connor in my inbox, yeah. I immediately delete it. I don't even pay it time a day.
2: Oh my gosh! And yeah. spell the person's name correctly. That's <laughs> the other thing too. I've, I've gotten that so many times where you know my name it's short for something longer, but C A S S I E. I'll get emails where it's C A S E Y or C A S S E, mm. and I'm like, listen that's the first thing you need to do is spell the person's right. name correctly and and you know that's it's uh first impressions so that's important.
0: I, I used to use it when so when i was in college i got my first credit card you know and i went over the limit and uh, i remember they would call and say is jeff sai there and i'm like no don't, this is bob <laughs> his roommate he's not here he's never here so that always is handy um, card.
1: great good fun
0: Yeah. So Mm -hmm. we've got another one of our, of, uh, momentum attendees. Uh, Kira says, I love the idea of diversifying what you offer to sponsors beyond a mention in a video or podcast. So creative. Love it. Yeah. That is great advice. In fact, it reminds me of like what you said earlier, uh, Cassie is that, you know, it takes, it takes time. You can't just like, Hey, buy my stuff or Hey, sponsor me. Um, and one of the things, like, I keep going back to ECAM because they have such a great community, but one of their employees, Doc Rock, who's, you know, he runs a lot of their stuff over there. He started just inside the community, helping other people like with his comments and, hey, if this doesn't work, you should try this and this. And ECAM noticed and eventually hired him and now he's on staff. And so your, your idea of like starting small and then working with those brands going, going along the way, I think is, is really, really key. Is there any other things that you would suggest for like, if you have a dream Brand, You know, Connor wants a Ferrari in his driveway. Uh, so <laughs> like, what are some other tips that you could share on like initiating a conversation? Cause that's where it starts. It's not like it's, but, and it's more than like a cold pitch. Like, Hey, like how, how do you initiate that initial con- uh, conversation with a brand that you really eventually want to work with?
2: Yeah. So I think one thing that is going to be really helpful is, you know, there's that saying dress for the job that you want. Right. So if you can start creating content with that brand without even having a paid collaboration, even if you love the brand and you've never thought about creating. Right content with their products, uh, start doing it, you know, show what you can create with that brand. Because again, those visualization examples of what you can create for that, that business is going to be huge. Obviously, you can share examples using other products and other services. But if you literally use that brand, or you want to use that brand, start creating content, start telling your audience about it, start showing how you're using it, get creative with the type of content that you're developing using that product. Because if you can genuinely become a organic ambassador of that brand a lot of times uh brands are way more eager to work with someone like that versus someone who just reaches out whatever using the product right and a lot of times too i've seen that lead to the brand reaching out to the person first so that's a whole nother opportunity to keep in mind too if you really start engaging and connecting with that brand uh commenting on their posts sharing your story about how you've used the product or the service um that's going to definitely connect in and, and you know With them. So uh and I think going back to I know I sound like a broken record, but going back to the element of crafting your pitch email, uh, simplicity is important. You know, if you send an email and it has seven paragraphs and it's going on this dissertation all about yourself (laughs) and how great you are, and that's obviously awesome. And you want to back up the authority of what you do and why what you do is working and why it's compelling. But ultimately, again, the brand is asking themselves what's in it for me how can you help them and how can they help you and vice versa and if you're not answering that question someone's going to have to start going into the guessing game and they're going to do more work trying to figure out how uh how you're gonna fit into the bigger picture for them. And so if you can go ahead and initially just answer that question and answer it very quickly in the email, uh, that's gonna be huge. Um, The other thing too, is email subject lines are obviously really important too. You know, um, if you think about your, email activity in your own inbox, thinking about the different uh, subject lines that capture your attention. One thing that's worked for me well in the past is including the person's first name that is receiving your email in the subject line. So, um, you know, obviously not making it sound spammy, but... working that in that way is another really good thing. Um, and so there's a, different, there's a few different things that you can try, but ultimately the thing I always tell people is just test, 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 send out a bunch of emails, see what's clicking, see what's working, um, but ultimately focus on that subset of, of brands that you're already utilizing in your day-to-day, including that story into your outreach. It's gonna be a great place to start and then you can kind of go from there.
0: So real quick follow up on that. I want to just come a little bit on the format of the email, because I think what you said is really, really key is offering telling the brands what you are going to offer because it's about them. They don't really care like how great you are and you've been on all these shows or whatever. They want to know what you can offer the brand. So would you put what you offered like in bullet points at the very, very top? How do you usually format that email?
2: Yeah, so I think the biggest thing is you want it to be as organic feeling as possible. So again, thinking about those emails that you receive that are Mm -hmm. super cringy, like trying to stray away from that. Digestibility is important, right? Right. So obviously not including 900 paragraphs is one tip I always give people. But the other thing, too, if you want to break it down either into sections with headlines or in bullet points to your point, Jeff, that's a really good way to get your point across super quickly, because if you think about it, whether you're a speaker pitching to event planners or you're a creator pitching to most of the time marketing teams or influencer managers, people's times are tight they don't have a lot of extra time on their hands to go back and forth with someone and so if you can kind of again create that email in a short concise compelling way as quickly as possible and even offering to them hey if you're interested i have more details in my media kit maybe in your initial email you have a snapshot of some of your compelling stats or some of the past work that you've done or even the content you've created already for that brand Uh, that's going to be really helpful but Short is key and bullet points are always usually my go to. And so that's a good way to start. But again, test, you know, try a couple Mm -hmm. different formats. Maybe it's uh, headlines with two short sentences underneath and you have a couple of those, you know, whatever you feel like makes sense and whatever's getting some sort of uh, reaction or response. And then you can kind of go from there.
1: Awesome. That's awesome. I know Jeff and I were both Amazon influencers, so we get a lot of emails from brands <laughs> wanting us to review stuff, and they are some crazy emails. <laughs> right, and that's I'm, an sure. I'm not looking at the 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 product that you're even talking uh-huh. about. This email is not making any uh-huh. sense at all. Yeah, um, you know, you you've crafted your your media kit, right? You've got your what you think is your perfect email. You send it out into the world to the brands that you want to work with what's a realistic time frame to not only respect, expect a response to come from a brand um, and more so, how do you not come off as pushy, right? Like what's a exactly. reasonable amount of time to, I'm not gonna say anything, but now I'm gonna reach out. Right. And then subsequently, how many times do you do that without coming off like a, a creep? <laughs>
2: for sure. Well, first of all, I do not recommend sending emails, especially on the weekends. Like don't, don't do that because your email is going to get buried. It's not going to get looked at at least until Monday and Monday mornings are usually a big flooding of the inbox too. And so um, try to avoid to Thursdays and Fridays. I don't love sending out pitch emails either. I try to stick with Mondays or Tuesdays just at the top of the week, uh, maybe early in the day. So it hits their inbox first thing. Um, and so that's kind of the aim again, test, and just kind of see what what makes the most sense. But in terms of a turnaround time, I wish I could guarantee if and when a brand would respond and when they'll respond. It's hard to say. But in my experience, honestly, a couple days um, is usually what i've seen um because sometimes brands will take the time to look at it share it with their team maybe look at it again let it sit in their inbox Uh, so i'll typically not respond or not follow back up until five to seven days after i send that initial email to your point connor you don't want to sound pushy again i've had people in my linkedin inbox where it's every day and they're they're literally saying to me all right day three of following up day four (laughs) and i'm like listen that's not helping. I, I don't yeah. quite feel bad for that. <laughs> so um so that's one thing. Obviously you don't wanna be just all over the place with that. So um, I would give it a few days. If you don't hear five to seven days, maybe stick with seven, follow back up, be super kind and concise in your follow-up. A lot of times for me, it's the follow-up email that gets a response. Uh, I do get responses in my first initial email, but sometimes if you just bump that email back up to the top of someone's inbox, that's what's helpful. Because again, we don't know how many emails these people are receiving on their end. And so a lot of times it's just a matter of of right place, right time, getting it to the top of their inbox when they're in there. And that's when they see it. So follow-up is fine. I'll typically do two, maybe three follow-ups and then I'll kind of end it there. Cause it honestly, by the third email, if someone hasn't responded, unfortunately right. it might be time to move on. Right. Um, but two emails is more than okay. And I just give it, you know, a few business days until you circle back up
0: it's awesome one of the things i would say and this is from connor nye's amazon influencer stuff is you also got to think about seasonality like when stuff is going to start hitting for the holidays or whatever like i have been i luckily enough one it was last year i did a uh, a thing for because i knew black friday was coming up i knew that was going to be big on amazon everybody wants to be on amazon on black friday and so i was able to reach out to some brands and say hey i'm going to go live on black friday on amazon's platform Um, why don't we partner together? And they were very open to what that suggestion and sending product and all this sort of stuff. So also be thinking about like, when does it hit? And a lot of times it hits, they're thinking about those sales way before you do. So just kind of know the brand cycle, like stuff on Pinterest hits a lot earlier than it does on Facebook. And so you got to think about, different times for different sales or, or when products are going to be uh, promoted on those different platforms. So that's really good as well, Cassie. So thank you. Um, let's really quick because Cassie, um, so much, I could go on this for this forever. So so much fun. Um, let's talk about media kit design because when you were at momentum, you had some great and there were gorgeous examples of media kits and how you put them together. Um, so can you talk about a little bit, crafting a media kit from scratch? Like what tools you like, platforms you find most effective, Um, for like a professional, but like something that most normal people can do, um, some things that you like to use.
2: Absolutely. Well, thank you for that, first of all. Uh my favorite tool really is Canva. I love mm-hmm. Canva. And so that's an example that I gave you all at Momentum was using that platform. A lot of times you can use Canva for free. I personally love the pro version. I think yeah. it's $12 a month or something like that. And the amount of things you can do on the platform is endless. And so for me, that's one of my must-have tools. I will not get rid of that platform for anything. Right. If you're a little bit more design savvy and you have have used the adobe products in the past uh, adobe illustrator is another one of my favorite ones if i have something that's a little bit more nitty gritty or print, Uh, I will always go to Adobe. I don't love Canva for print products yet. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they're going to be working on that, but if you need to print anything, even though this is kind of unrelated, go to Adobe, Um, but having Adobe skills in general is really important. So those are the two platforms I will typically start with, but in terms of design tips, um, again, going back to the resume reference, uh, simple is important. You know, you don't want to have too many elements on your media kit that is super distracting and takes away from the main content that you are trying to get across. And so having extra icons and this and that scrambled all over if. If your eye has to go in a zigzag and backup pattern to read information, it's probably not a good idea either. So making sure that someone can leave, read from left to right, and it's pretty simple, and all the information is easy to find. There's headlines across your document that share what that uh, content is all about in that specific section um, is also also super, super important. And so again, simple is key. I know a lot of times people say uh, one page is really is Really important. I haven't found that sticking only with one page is incredibly necessary. I know some people will only look at a one pager, so I always recommend having both just in case. Um, and so I, I would still keep it within a couple pages. So try not to exceed probably two or three pages. I wouldn't go too much farther past that. Now, if you do have a lot of different offerings, you have a blog, you have social, you have a podcast, et cetera, uh, it's probably going to go longer. But you can also, when you're going to send that pitch to someone, you can maybe tweak or cut out some sections of your media kit, depending on who you're talking to. So those are the biggest things. And then lastly, which I shared at Momentum as well, is making sure that the branding of your media kit is into your business brand. So if your brand you use blue and white and yellow, for example, don't use pink and green in your media <laughs> kit. So making sure everything ties together is incredibly important because you want to create that consistency and you'll start to become known for this brand aesthetic or style. You know, have your logo on there, create that connection and that recognition with your brand. Um, so those are just a few quick little design tips there. Those for are your awesome. Media kit.
1: Yeah, those yeah. are great. Those are awesome. I know you mentioned, you know, the importance of, Keeping it, you know, not too, too long and keeping it consistent and not a whole lot of or, or icons or craziness. But Cassie, are there any other like common design mistakes that you've seen that just are a no-go when assembling a media kit?
2: Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Distraction is is one. Um You know, photos are good because again, people are usually pretty visual. Um, And then ultimately, besides that, I think just having information that's irrelevant, I know this kind of goes beyond design per se, but including too much information in your design that is not necessary, is also going to be uh, really distracting. Um, I think the other thing too, you know, because seeing smiling faces and the connection with an audience visibly is, is really huge a lot of times to brands and showing how you resonate and you've built this community. So if you have photos of you connecting with people in person or whatever, speaking, if you're a speaker, podcasting, um, showing that is huge. But I think the biggest thing ultimately is examples of your work. You can include maybe collages or what have you in the media kit itself. So it it creates that connection, gets someone to click on your website or uh, your social media channels. But um, the more examples and answering the question why, and I think also having a purpose for each element that you include in your media kit. So as you're going through and editing or even preparing that media kit to send off to someone, ask yourself, why is this square in my design? Why is this photo in my design? Why is this headline in my design? Does it make sense? Is it telling a story all the way throughout? Um, Those are ultimately the biggest things that I like to ask myself just before that goes off and uh, goes out to someone.
0: Awesome. So um, one of the questions that I I was thinking about, because hopefully we are continuing to grow and continue, you know, in our, in our growth and have more numbers and all that stuff. So how often do we need to update this media kit?
2: Yeah. So at most, every single time you send it out, or okay. I like to kind of send pitches and waves per se. So I'll kind of go through and I'll I'll send a bunch of emails, obviously tweaking as I'm as I'm sending those. Um, so at most, every time you send it out, or every quote unquote wave that you're sending those emails out at minimum monthly if you are a podcaster or social media creator or even blogger and you're including any sort of updated relevant statistics in your media kit the goal is to make sure those are updated and relevant so and it's to your benefit too right so if you last week had Uh, 500 streams of your podcast. And this week you have a thousand, you know, making sure that those those numbers are the most compelling and updated and relevant as possible. Um, And those metrics change over time. And same with your audience demographics. I know we didn't talk a whole lot about audience demo, but making sure that the people that are following you and uh, engaging with your content, that they're Um, included in that media kit as well. So making sure that the locations, the ages, uh, the genders are all up to date as well. Uh, Because the biggest thing too, is you wanna make sure that the results and the ROI of your campaign is gonna be reflective of your updated data. So number one is don't fluff your numbers. I wouldn't do that. Um, And also just make sure they're updated and they're timely uh, because it's gonna help you ultimately down the road.
1: Awesome. So Cassie, you know, you've talked about the importance of personalizing a media kit when you go out to each brand, but like, where's that balance and that efficiency if we want to standardize media kit, but we also want to update it for each brand? Like how detailed are we getting with, with those personalized ones?
2: Yeah. So, number one, I would say it's okay to have a couple different versions of your media kit, depending on the type of brands or the type of audiences that you're reaching out to. So, that's probably the the easiest way to go about it uh, just because you have it ready to go and maybe you just tweak a couple small things initially um, because maybe you work in fashion and you have one for clothing and you have another one for jewelry or or what have you so speaking to those different industries and really showing that brand exactly what you can do for a brand just like them is going to be important the other thing i would say too um, besides your stats being updated the content examples are really the only other big thing that should be changing on a semi-regular basis. Because if you're changing your story every time you send to a new brand, there's probably something wrong with your brand message. And it may be time to kind of tweak and optimize that because ultimately the people and the brands working with you, there should be some sort of synergy between their audience and yours. There should be a connection. Uh, Your audience should resonate with them and vice versa. There should be some sort of synergy there. So ultimately, the idea is not to completely overhaul your media kit every time you send it out because there should be some sort of fluidity between the brands that you're reaching out to. Um, but having a couple different examples or even having pages that can be cut out depending on who you're speaking to is going to be important. You can also maybe break your pitches down uh, by segments. So maybe you have a group of the clothing brands that you're reaching out to. And then maybe you have jewelry. So maybe Wednesday I say, okay, today I'm gonna only reach out to clothing uh, brands and I have a media kit that's kind of tailored to that group or maybe next week I'm only gonna do speaking engagement pitches and I have uh, educational groups that I'm reaching out to. And so I have my media kit that's kind of tailored to that group. Um, So that's the biggest thing I would say is just have a couple different versions, but try not to change your message a whole lot, just make sure that you do have examples of your work, and also the data is as updated as possible, too.
0: That is awesome. That is awesome. So um, we have my friend Mia Voss saying this is a great conversation. Loving all this info. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. Once again, (laughs) this needs to be like a day long show. I think sometimes it's just amazing. Uh, Cassie, thank you so much for all your great information and everything that you've taught and shared with us today. I want to give you plenty of time to let people know where they can find you, what you've got going on, uh, anything you'd like to tell people where they can find more about Cassie Tucker.
2: Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, thank you both for having me. I'm incredibly honored, super, super stoked to have been here today, but yeah, a couple different platforms. So the biggest thing uh, for me is LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. So I'm Cassie Tucker over there. Uh, my podcast is marketing happy hour. That's MarketingHappyHR.com to find all things that and besides that, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Those are the two main places that awesome. I'm at, but LinkedIn and the podcast are, are big. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Connor is going to be on your show not very long ago and I know yeah. Lou and I were just on not t- uh, too uh, long ago either so make sure you guys check out those episodes comment on them like let it, give her a rating and review and, and leave some uh, comments on there that always helps podcasters out Connor Brown where can people find the amazing Connor
1: Brown you can find the amazing Connor Brown at wdwopinion.com and across social media at wdwopinion for all your Disney travel planning needs Awesome.
0: Thank you guys so much for this show. It was so much fun. Uh, Thank you, Dustin, Kira, Mia, uh, Tacey, everybody who joined us today and those people who are watching the replay. We appreciate you. We wouldn't be able to do this show without you. And with that, we'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Social Media News Live.